Romans chapter 8 and I'm actually going to start at verse 16 because it's the beginning of the sentence and I'm a bit thingy about starting in the middle of a sentence. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not, sorry, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now we go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. <laughs> That's all right. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's right. We need God's word, don't we? Well, morning, church. If you don't know me already, my name is Rob, and um, I just I just have a question for you to start things off. Um, 
My questions hopefully aren't jovial, if you can see. Um, but when, um, you know, uh, if you happen to watch the news or uh, if you don't watch the news and you hear about it, which is through Facebook, which is news, but maybe. Um, but if, if you happen to watch the news and, and you tune in to things like tsunamis, bushfires, hurricanes, mudslides, droughts. How do, you, how do you make sense of that? Like, when you watch footage of some catastrophic event, even if it's after the fact and the news is there, and hundreds, maybe, who knows, maybe thousands of people, men, women, and children, crushed by a mudslide, swept away as parents were trying to hold on to them through a tsunami. You've seen this stuff, right? Yes? So what are, what are we to make of that? Are they just unlucky? Oh, it's a bit unlucky. A little closer to home. What about when your spouse or your family member or a close friend is diagnosed with dementia or terminal cancer? How do you interpret these things? Is that just the way the world is? Some cop it, some don't. Some have a good life, some don't. How do we understand these things? Our text this morning actually provides a lens for you to interpret these catastrophic events and our aging bodies and cancer and all of these things. And what I hope this text does is like a lifeline. Imagine if you were out to sea, right? And you got caught into a storm and you got dragged out and you could see the horizon slowly drifting away until now you look around left, right, and center. Everywhere you were, you're in a storm, you've lost your boat, you're treading water, you're about to sink. And then a boat shows up, throws you a lifeline, and if you cling onto that lifeline, it'll bring you safely to the harbor. But you have to cling and hold on to that all the way through. And when you get to the harbor, it's going to be glorious. There's going to be no more storm. There's going to be no more rain. There's going to be no more fear of drowning. That's what this text could do. If you listen this morning, if you believe these things, and that's what Romans tells us, that, that all of creation is anticipating. It's on tiptoe, looking forward towards something. That, that all of the church, that those in Christ are anticipating something, looking forward to something. So what I want to do with our time together is explore those two things. The anticipation of all creation in verses 19 through 22 and the anticipation of all Christians. 
It's a wonderful, marvelous text, and, and I hope it's encouraging to you as, as it's been to me as I've studied it this week. But why don't we look to the Lord in prayer as before we dive into his word here and ask him to bless this time. Heavenly Father, we are distracted, narcissistic, sinful people. And Lord, we pray now that by your spirit, you would remove the scales from our eyes and Lord, help us to see your word. Help us, we pray, that we would be shaped and molded and changed by the truths that are in it this morning. We need your spirit to do that. So we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, have you ever been to a concert of some type, or, or maybe it's a town hall meeting? You guys don't go to town hall meetings. Um, but, you know... You, you, you go to something and, and there's, there's the excitement that's sort of building. You know, someone is, is sort of whooping a, a crowd up into a frenzy, right? Who's ready? <sighs> right? Um, last week's text kind of felt like that, right? It was like, you know, what are we? Children of God. What are we? Adopted. You know, and it's, it's getting, it's like you can feel the energy building, building. And then it's like, and... Drum roll, please. Get ready for it. As children of God, as adopted, get, get ready for it. Guess what we get? What do we get? Suffering. <laughs> Crickets, right? You know, where's the woo, 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 you know? But that's, that's what Paul says. If you jump back, Judy just read it for us here, but if you jump back, I mean, look carefully from last week's text in Romans 8. He says in verse 16, uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Don't miss it. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Those who reign with Christ in the future will suffer for him in the present. Every true believer will undergo some degree of suffering in this Life, Philippians 1.29, it has been granted, listen to this, gifted to you. Dan was just talking about a gift. It has been gifted, granted to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. In the West, we kind of have an allergy to that, don't we? <laughs> we, uh, we don't like the idea of discomfort. Hardship. But Paul reminds us that there is no pathway to glory apart from the one that leads through testing and suffering. And that's why he says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is be revealed to us. Listen, friend, here's the truth. No one, absolutely no one, goes through life unscathed. We all have times of suffering. And sometimes amid the trials of life, it's hard to look past your suffering. Nothing seems to change. Suffering seems to have no end. My chronic illness is only going to get worse. My husband's dementia is only heading in one direction. I wanted to marry and have kids, but that hope seems past now. 
Our suffering is real and it's hard, but it won't last forever. If you had a, um, an imaginary calculator in your hand, right? And, and let's just pretend that you could add up on, on this imaginary calculator all the suffering and injustice of this world. Even 80 years of intense suffering, it would only be a blip compared to the perfection for eternity. That's what Paul's saying. We do suffer, but there's no contest. There's no comparison when you think about even like a timeline and you think about eternity. What, at best, some of us are going to live in here, you know, not all of us have your genes, Marge. You know, we won't all live to 90 or 100 or whatever we're going to live to. So, you know, 80, 85 years. We have suffering. We have those times. But when you compare and contrast that with eternity, no contest, no comparison. You can't even, you can't even do the maths, right? Look, if your marriage here on this earth is a mess, your marriage to Christ will be perfect in heaven. If you have never had kids here, you will have relationships beyond family there. If you are in pain here, you will never shed a tear there. If you hate your sin and failures, which I hope if you're in Christ that you are, just wait until you experience the perfection of heaven where there'll be no more sin. Listen, the, the worst things that could ever happen to you, the greatest regrets, the greatest losses, the biggest pain will be transformed into a tiny temporary memory that makes heaven all the more glorious. That's why Paul says, therefore, listen, we do not lose heart. You see? Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Listen to this. For our light and momentary troubles afflictions are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Derek Thomas sheds some helpful light on this. L listen to what he says. Your present sufferings may be excruciatingly painful, these trials you carry are cross-shaped, but they are a mere trifle in comparison with what God has in store for you. If we find that difficult to believe, it is because our view of glory is out of focus. Spiritual short-sightedness robs us of gospel comfort that God desires us to enjoy. Very powerful. Our view of glory is out of focus. Now, here's what's fascinating. As we anticipate this glory, right? This redemption, we're not the only ones waiting for this. The entire creation eagerly awaits this. And you, you, have, to, you have to track with me here because I might lose you. So, so look at verse 19 where Paul says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation, the revealing of the sons of God. Now, the word creation here refers to physical or material world, right? Mountains, rivers, plants, deserts, seas, and so on. 
And what Paul does is give these created objects human emotions and desires. Okay? We do the same thing. Oh, that last piece of pavlova is calling for me. Now, now, really? You know, no. I hope not, right? Uh, how'd you sleep last night? Oh, terrible. Why? Oh, the wind was howling all night. I mean, is the wind really howling? No. These are expressions, right? They're called personification. It's, it's when you give an object of nature human behaviors. The Bible does this in a number of places. For example, Isaiah 35. Look at this. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, and the desert shall rejoice. You see? Isaiah 55, verse 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into oh, singing. Okay? And all the trees of the field shall, not just you, Colin, all the trees shall clap their hands. Okay? Now, do you see how nature is personified there? Right? Paul does the same thing in our text with creation. But what is creation? What is it? Creation's not clapping its hands. No, no, creation's doing something. Creation's on tiptoe. It's looking forward. It's anticipating. It's anticipating something. What is that? It's, it's longing to see. You know, you know, if we go to a, at, at a wedding ceremony, right? Here comes the wedding party. Down the aisle, right? And then when the bride comes, what does everybody do? Everybody stands up and kind of goes, on tiptoe, right? They're sort of craning their necks like, you know, I gotta, I gotta see, I gotta see. Paul says that, that, that's what creation's doing. Sort of looking forward to something. What? What is it? What's it doing? Well, the very end. When it will finally become clear exactly who God's children are and they will live in glory with him forever. That's what creation longs to have unveiled. Because when that day comes, it too will be set free from its corruption. Creation is going to be born again, so to speak. In other words, nature's destiny is linked with ours. When we're restored, the natural world will be restored as well. But not now. Not yet. That's why there's this anticipation, you see. This incompleteness now but will be complete then. But for now, that day hasn't come. Take me, for example. When I walk around Aaron Affair, you can't, by the way that I'm dressed or the way that I'm walking, you can't say, oh, that guy must be a Christian. Right? I look like just, just like any other bloke there. And the same goes for all of you. What difference is there? I'm not talking behavior-wise. I'm just saying, like, from a, a merely looking from the human eye, what difference is there, unless you have weird Jesus paraphernalia shirts, what difference is there between you and the world? Well, you still get sick. You're still aging. And eventually, just like your neighbor, you're going to die. See, but all that changes in the end. All that changes in glory. 
Colossians 3, 4 says this, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The last day will uncover our real status. Which is cool stuff, which is encouraging, but why would, why would like the trees care about that? Why would the overgrown shrubs in your yard give a rip about that? Why, why is nature concerned about that? I mean, it's cool for us, but why, I mean, why does Paul draw this here? Because the day Adam and Eve sinned by disobeying God's command, not only was mankind cursed, but the earth itself was cursed and corrupted, you see? Listen to what God said to Adam just after the fall. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Listen, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Now imagine this. Imagine this for a moment. Before the fall, there was no weeds to deal with, no poisonous plants, no thorns, no thistles to worry about, no death, no disease. But after the fall, every living thing grows old and dies. Death is an intruder. After the fall, viruses and bacteria became harmful. After the fall, animals attacked and killed people. After the fall, natural disasters became the norm. After the fall, creation is not what it should be or what God intended it to be. It has become subjected to futility, to frustration, to vanity. Can you see that there in verse 20? Look what he says. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Isn't that astonishing to think? Fall has cosmic ripple effects. It wasn't just Adam and Eve that sinned. Creation itself was tarnished because of their sin. Sin has marred the goodness of God's creation, and now it is in a state of futility. And by the way, this came about not, not by its own will, but the will of someone else. Did you see that? Who do you think that was? Who subjected creation? Was it Adam, whose sin brought death and decay? Was it Satan, whose temptation led to the fall? Or was it God, who decreed the curse as a judgment. Who do you think? Was it Adam? Was it Satan? Was it God? I reckon it was God. He alone has the right and power to condemn all of creation because of sin. But listen, that does not mean all hope is lost. Quite the contrary, that's actually the point. All hope is not lost because on that very sad day when God rightfully cursed the ground and Adam, he said, Genesis 3.15, that one day someone will come from the seed of the woman who will crush the seed of the serpent. You see, one day sin will be dealt with a final death blow and that comes at the cross of Jesus Christ. So that's why, and if you look here in, in verse 20 again, he says, notice, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Notice, in hope. 
that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see, the planets, the stars, the earth, the plants, they know that this is not how it is meant to be, but they also know redemption is coming, one that will engulf the entire cosmos. When mankind fell into sin, we, as well as all of creation, were corrupted. But when we're restored, creation will be restored as well. Until then, things will be out of sorts. The earth is fractured. I mean, you experience this. Unless you, don't, unless you live under a rock. If you go somewhere beautiful, it might be, it, it is. And we, we can enjoy God's good creations. Flowers are still beautiful. Mountains are still grand. All those things. But then, just as you're there, and maybe you want to take a picture, you know. If you're not careful, that thing will give you malaria, too, somewhere else, right? Creation is still broken. It's still fractured. We shouldn't hate the earth, by the way. But you see, it's, it's, it's not the final destiny, you see? Until then, until that day comes, we still have bushfires. We still have droughts, mudslides, hurricanes, floods, famines. When creation experiences these catastrophic events, what do those without Jesus think? Well, pff, must be the end of the world, right? When droughts and bushfires occur, people conclude, oh no, it's global warming, we're doomed. When we witness wars, artificial intelligence, and nuclear weapons, it must mean we're all going to annihilate ourselves. But you see, the Christian has a different perspective. We know what is coming, don't we? It is not the end of the world. It is the renewing of the world. God is going to regenerate creation. Paradise is to be restored, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul says these things that we see, these are not death pains. They don't signal death. They signal, right, approaching life. Though creation is unraveling, so to speak, at the same time, it's this interesting contrast. It's also pregnant, so to speak. There's, there's something that's going to happen, going to blossom. They, they, those pains remind us that the world does not end in some cosmic disaster, but in a cosmic renewal. They are meant to signal hope. So brothers and sisters, when you feel the effects of the fall, the next time you look in the mirror and you see another gray hair, okay? The next time you see another wrinkle, the next time your back aches, know that that is because of sin. You will die. Yes, I'm glad you're laughing. But death is not the end for you. This world is not the end. Paul reminds us, right, that these imperfections, they actually cry out to us. That there is actually a perfect world that's coming. We were not created for this fallen world. God will make all things new. That is the anticipation of all creation. Is that your anticipation? Well, what should your anticipation be? Well, verse 23. Notice, verse 23 says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
Now we see the anticipation of all Christians. Interesting word there here. Notice the, the, the word groaning. So you see the, uh, the, the creation groans. The believer groans. The spirit groans. It, it, it's the word that it's like um, you're being squeezed and you sort of cry out. You, so, you ever have someone come behind you and give you a big bear hug? Right? And you're like, <coughs> I have a kid that does that to ev- all the time. Right? She loves giving bear hugs. Right? And when, and when you get a big bear hug, you're like, you sort of, that, that's, that's the image here of groaning. It's this, it's this uh, crying out, this, this frustration in a sense. Now here's the deal though. If you talk to most of the world though, they say this earth is all there is, right? YOLO. You ever seen that? You only live once. It is why aging and death is such an enemy. It robs them of their one hope. But we find here in Romans that this world is not the end. The body is not it. This life is not all there is. You were made for more, friends. How do we know? The presence of the Spirit. Notice there it's a first fruits, a promise of the full harvest to come. The full harvest includes a new body that is free from sin and, it, and its effects. Because notice here he says, and I'll, notice the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await for adoption as sons. Hold on here, hold on. We've already been adopted. Didn't he just say that last week? And then he says, now we've grown for adoption. What's going on? Is this just another one of those quote, contradictions in the Bible somewhere? What's happening? No, there is adoption now. You are sealed by the Spirit now if you are in Christ. But you still sin, don't you? Just like me. We still grieve the Spirit now, don't we? But one day, we'll be without sin. One day, we'll get our new bodies, redeemed, glorified bodies, So we're already adopted, but not yet fully as we will be. You see? Already and not yet. That's the anticipation of the believer. We're looking forward to. Do you understand, friend? The biggest concern you should have is not the coronavirus. The biggest concern you should have is if you know Christ. Because if you know Christ To die is gain. To die is gain. And the Lord has your day marked when you're going to die. Do you know that? It's already written. It's done. You shouldn't fear those things. You shouldn't fear death because if you really believe this, to live is Christ, to die is gain, then your ultimate driving force in life is for now... You know that in the end, there's going to be a cosmic renewal. There's going to be a renewal of yourself because of God's work. And so for now, you've got a job to do. It's not to hide. It's not to worry about getting sick. It's to spread the gospel to the nations. That's your job. It's your neighbor, your friend, your coworker. Who's going to tell them about Jesus? If you're hiding and worried and scared, how are they going to hear the gospel? 
It is your job if you call yourself a Christian. It is my job. We have a job to do. That is the most important thing that we have as believers, to fulfill the great commission. And it comes with a risk. My goodness. Do you think if missionaries were worried and feared and hiding behind every corner and worried about death that they would go out to the ends of the earth? No. No way. But you see, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Doesn't mean we should be stupid. Doesn't mean we should jump, you know, jump off a bridge and see what happens. Okay? But we take risks for the gospel because we know that this world is not ours, that this home is not here, that one day, one day, you see, we're on tiptoe as well, you see. I mean, do do you do you see your death? Let me ask you this, just honestly, honestly. I, I wrestle with this too. I probably wrestle with this the most now that I have kids, right? Before you have kids, you're, I don't know, you have a different perspective. But do you really see your death? Whenever that comes, could come today for someone here. Do you really see your death as like a graduation? You know, because of the work of Christ, and only because of him. I, I, I don't want to die today, but when that day comes, I, I want to embrace it because of the work of Jesus. You see? Because I'm an adopted child, and so are you if you were on Jesus. But... We don't see all that right now, do we? <laughs> it all sounds, when you think about heaven and this renew, and it's like, yeah, yeah. But tomorrow you're gonna wake up. Someone's gonna cut you off on the road. Someone's gonna frustrate you. Your sin is going to just rear its ugly head. Your impatience, your gossip, your, all of those things are all gonna come. So then we sort of feel like, whatever. Just kind of live my life. But that's, if you could see and look beyond that, that's what Paul's saying. That's what you need to do is anticipate. But if you could see it all right now, if you could sort of put on those, what are those new vision things that, yeah, virtual reality or whatever, the dumb, you know, anyway, thing that, you know, you, anyway, what is it called? Beta, is that it? Anyway, whatever. So if you could put that thing on and you could sort of live in heaven now and you could see it all now, well, that really wouldn't be hope, would it? I mean, you can imagine what it's like, and that should propel you and, and, and sort of galvanize you. But, but if, you could all, if it could all be in front of your face and you could see it, well, and that's what Paul's saying, right? You see the last part of the verse? For in this hope we, we were saved. Now, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That's, that's the amazing thing about all of this. Even what we're doing now. Don't, Keep, keep in mind, someone that's not a Christian, would, they'd walk in and be like, I don't know, some like fired up American guys up there, rah, 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 yell, and there's a bunch of people with books, and they're all just sitting there looking forward, staring at the back of each other's heads right now. Like you realize how like, because visibly, what do they see? Like, I don't, what, are they, what are these people even doing, right? 
But we know, we know because of the Spirit, right? But it's, it's, it's very, it's an interesting thing, but we can't actually prove it physically per se, can we, to someone? For one of your non-Christian friend or neighbor. We know because the Spirit has sealed us, saved us. But that's hope. That's pushing us forward, you see? That's the anticipation of the Christian. Is that your anticipation? Is that your anticipation? Creation's already there. Creation's keen. Creation's chomping the bit. Are we there as well? It is certain because the God who said it can be trusted and is good. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you again for your word that lifts our eyes above this earth, that lifts our eyes above our circumstances and lifts our affections beyond this world into something far greater. Lord, may we treasure you. May we anticipate the new heavens, new earth with joy. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.